is Damien O'Doherty with the Center Maryland, the Lobby Pod. Uh, we are starting fresh with a new legislative session, but we're almost two years deep into the COVID-19 experience. Uh, some things feel very different. Some things feel very similar. Look, a lot of the vaccines and therapeutics that have uh, come onto the marketplace still haven't prevented our Maryland hospitals from being overrun. 13 have been forced to move to crisis standards of care, which has been an unprecedented decision. And earlier this month, Governor Hogan laudably reinstated the public health and catastrophic health emergency status. And this is really a strong signal of what all of uh, Maryland is facing at the same time, two years of the COVID-19 pandemic have taken a real toll on the hospital workforce. I think we all know that we all sort of remember what it was like to get up and go to work every day regularly. You know, a lot of us never had the jobs that those frontline hospital workers had at that time. Now let's march the clock up 18 months, two years later, we're here in front of our devices, sitting in our uh, computer metaverse. The hospitals are not only doing the same thing before the pandemic, but they're doing it at double and triple speed and rate. And so they are just uh, facing an incredible workforce shortage, uh, just as we need them the most. Uh, today, we're joined by Leslie Simmons, the Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President at LifeBridge Health, who uh, care, care Bravely is a hashtag you'll associate with them. And if you follow them online or have any friends or relatives that are in the LifeBridge uh, family, I think you'll notice them as, as some of the more remarkable heroes in this experience. And then Brian Frazee, he's the Vice President of Government Affairs for the Maryland Hospital Association. We have these two stars, Leslie Simmons from LifeRidge, Brian Frazee from MHA. They're here to help our legislators understand what we're going through this session. Leslie, can you talk about what it's like on the front lines? What's different on this third, uh, is it third surge? You know, so I'd love to hear sort of your you're the chief operating officer of a hub institution in the heart of Baltimore. Uh, just would, would love to hear your perspective. Yes, thank you, Damien. Um, you know, without a doubt, this is unlike anything that any of our healthcare workers have ever experienced. You know, the, the length of time that this pandemic has lasted is really going to cause lasting, lingering effects probably for years to come that honestly we probably don't even fully understand. I will say that this uh, surge is quite different than any of the previous in that Omicron came in so fast and furious. I mean, literally, when we heard about the first case, it was like the next day. It was not only upon us, but it was upon us in a big way. Um, and it just caught us crazy off guard. Um, I would say the the singular thing that is different um, versus the other surge is the number of staff that are affected. So as you can imagine, we already had an exhausted workforce and a somewhat um, 
decreased workforce, with people just having general fatigue of being in the pandemic for two years. And then along comes Omicron and takes out almost half of our staff in a few days. And it just was suddenly we found ourselves, you know, I hate to be dramatic, but realistic. We found ourselves almost doing wartime nursing care. I mean, it it just, um, you know, we were already using agency. We were already using, you know, high priced travelers. We were already doing pay incentives, begging people to work. But what we quickly found is there's no amount of money that could get people to work because they were all sick. And the remaining staff are just exhausted. So it's, you know, I will tell you, we looked at, have been looking at all kinds of modeling to try to understand um, how much longer, you know, we're going to be dealing with this. We are grateful that it does seem, thank goodness, we all mandated vaccinations for our staff and um, a significant number of our staff had boosters because it does appear that because of that activity, they, they you know, they got uh, COVID, but they weren't as sick and they haven't been out as long. Um, and that helped us be able to return them quicker. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely unlike anything we've um, ever experienced, we are trying to support our staff as much as possible. You know, as a nurse myself, when I round out on the hospital floors, I got to tell you, I see a very different look in the eyes of the nurses. You know, we've all suffered, you know, horrific flu seasons and we're able to say, whew, Yay, glad that's over with. That was horrible. I hope we don't have another one of them for a long time. And they sort of just refocus, grab their passion and and get going. But now there's a sort of vacant, you know, stare apathy in some of our staff that honestly makes me worry about our future of nursing. So, you know, anything we can do to prop them up and let them know we see them and work alongside of them um, and offer them as much support as we possibly can, I think will go a long way to help them heal and recover. That's a remarkable view into, like I said, just an incredible hub of healthcare and compassion and resilience. But there's gotta, there's gotta be an end uh, to this. Brian, we've seen this crystal clear picture of what it looks like from a chief operating officer of LifeBridge Health in, in, in Baltimore. Talk to me about what hospitals need the legislature to do to help, you know, if we can quickly pivot to from that scene of this is what the hospitals are experiencing to your world of, Hey, what can we do about this in the legislative arena that can, that can take some of this burden off of our front lines. Sure. Thank you so much, Damien, and and really appreciate the opportunity to be here with Leslie today. Uh, As you alluded to at the top of this call, it's hard to believe that we're approaching two years of this pandemic. 
pandemic um, and our hospitals and their nearly 120,000 dedicated employees have now been on the front lines for 680 days as of today, 680 days. And you just heard Leslie talk about the stories of our workforce being strained. Um, the number of COVID-19 patients in Maryland's hospitals has nearly doubled in the last two weeks and our hospitals are full. Uh, we have 14 hospitals that have implemented crisis standards of care. Uh, and as you also mentioned earlier, we were very pleased that Governor Hogan reinstated the public health emergency in response to these worsening conditions. Um, and so, you know, as we, as you heard Leslie talk about, our workforce is strained, and we really need the legislature's help in addressing that. Uh, we have a staggering workforce shortage with fewer nurses, physicians, other caregivers to care for Marylanders. And we're, we've been pleased in the lead up to this legislative session that the governor and our legislative leaders have been talking about the need to ensure that hospitals have what uh, they need to handle not only this current surge, but future COVID sur surges that we may see. And so uh, we've been saving thousands of lives. Our members have been saving thousands of lives over the past two years. And now we need the legislature to, to help us in really two key ways. And they are growing and sustaining our healthcare workforce and improving Maryland's liability climate. Leslie, how about you? One thing, you know, you, you are such a beacon again for uh, compassionate care there at, at LifeBridge. We see it. We, we see all over uh, all the city and the region. Love to hear what you would like legislators to to know as they consider uh, the hospital association priorities this year. Yeah, without a doubt, I think it has to be around the workforce and really renewing them. Um, and so I think anything we can do around recruitment and retention is what I would like to see our legislators uh, focus on. You know, I think we need to understand that it is going to take our healthcare system anywhere from maybe three to five years to truly recover from this lingering pandemic. And, you know, we're going to have to... Um, reignite the passion of the workforce. Listen, I, I come from a family of nurses and what saddens me is um, my daughter, two of my daughters and my son-in-law are like, you know, I don't know that I would recommend nursing um, for our kids. And that's heartbreaking, right? So we have to reignite that. We have to find um, opportunities to make healthcare profession attractive again. And I think that MHA is taking some steps in their workforce council to try to understand what that might look like and how the model of care might need to be different so it's sustainable in the future. You know, I, I will say there's a lot of people incredibly passionate about healthcare and it, it's, it's amazing to see. Um, but, um, like I said, this is so sustained that it's just repairing that degradation of the workforce is going to be a bigger lift than I think most of us can imagine. So anything we can do about re around recruitment and retention is going to be powerful. And I mean, things like um, 
loan forgiveness, um, child care, free child care while you're in school. I, you know, I think we have to reimagine things that were previously maybe seemed overwhelming to us. Um, now they should be really considered as opportunities for the future. Leslie uh, has nailed what exactly what uh, administrators and frontline workers are facing. How do you convert that, Brian, into specific legislation in Annapolis? You, you hear the plea from from the field there. Yeah, so you heard Leslie talk about workforce, and that will be our top legislative priority this session. Uh, just from a statewide perspective, there are now over 3,900 nursing vacancies meaning there aren't enough nurses to staff available beds in our hospitals. Uh, hospitals are having to cancel elective procedures or take beds offline. And the public is seeing this in lo longer emergency department wait times and a need to manage the number of ambulances that can bring new patients to our hospitals or transfer patients. Um, and we've seen all of these covered by the media recently. And so one way that we're uh, attempting to address these challenges is we've requested a uh, one-time budget relief using a portion of the historic budget surplus that the state has to assist hospitals with the recruitment and retention efforts that Leslie spoke to. Uh, we've seen governors across the country put funding into their state budgets for this purpose. Another proven tool is loan repayment that Leslie also mentioned, which we also hope uh, the governor and the General Assembly will fully fund. And we'll also be supporting legislation legislation around things like licensure flexibilities, uh, leveraging our neighboring states and their workforces, uh, price gouging and, and other important efforts. And, and one thing that Leslie also talked about was the future. Um, and, and so as we look long term, we're also looking at ways to improve the pipeline of healthcare workers. Uh, and, and that, of course, will be an ongoing effort for the next several years, we expect. Well, Brian, with all the advances MHA made in telemedicine uh, over this pandemic period, you could imagine when this wants in a sort of generation effort to recruit and retain the workforce uh, gets underway or is complete the synergy of those two, you know, the access with telehealth and then a whole new workforce could really exponentially empower Marylanders in the health space. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Damien. Do these, uh, Leslie, uh, Leslie, do these solutions that you're hearing in the policy context, do you feel they're connecting for you in the hospital space? Uh, will this stuff, is this stuff really going to help you? Yeah, so Damien, I would have to say, yes, they will, because, you know, some of these things we have at the moment under um, the state of emergency, like the licensure flexibility. I, I can't tell you how much that has helped us in the last week to 10 days. That that allows us to use people more flexible, more with more flexibility. Um, but definitely the budget relief helps and actually having money in the state budget to do creative solutions around recruitment and retention helps. I have to say any focus we could give to price gouging um, 
that helps because it's demoralizing. You know, when you have a, a, a staff nurse that's devoted years and commitment to our organization, um, making, I, I don't know, let's say, you know, $50 an hour working along some, alongside somebody that's making 125 doing the same amount of work with, with no commitment, that's demoralizing. So if there was a way that we could level that out, you know, you know, LifeBridge, along with all my other colleagues across the state at other hospitals and health systems, we've try to incentivize our staff and, you know, try to equalize some of that pay, but it's not sustainable. You know, we're just hurting ourselves as an industry with that. So um, if there was a way to tamp that down and stop that, that would be tremendously helpful. But, you know, I, I really do get encouraged about things we could do in the future to really make um, all these healthcare jobs more attractive and recognize their importance would be great. You know, we're talking about nurses a lot, but respiratory therapists, nursing technicians, um, you know, I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. All, all the people that make exactly. the institution run, right? That, that's um, exactly right. That's exactly right. Brian, you, you talked a little bit about the liability climate in the state it just seems to hang over everything. What does that mean for MHA? What does that mean for the legislature when we have this unsustainable medical liability situation in the state of Maryland? In other words, we're not backing up our care providers. What, what do you have to say? Sure. So on that, uh, Damien, this past summer, the Health Services Cost Review Commission actually released an independent report about Maryland's medical liability climate. And it really confirms what we've been saying for many years now, and that is the state has an unsustainable medical liability climate. Uh, the report confirms that we're among the states with the highest losses paid by insurers, about 75% higher than the rest of the country on average. And then maintaining liability insurance is increasingly difficult. Um, in fact, the report notes that one large insurer has now declined all new business from both Baltimore City and Baltimore County. Uh, those reinsurers that are still willing to write policies in Maryland are requiring greater risk retention, dramatically increasing premiums, and they're also imposing uh, certain coverage exclusions and restrictions. And so that report actually identifies several legislative efforts that could help address these very real challenges, uh, one of which we're going to be introducing this session. And we're really interested as a hospital field in finding a solution that really gives people the compensation they need and deserve when something does go wrong, while also stabilizing our system and preserving access to and critically important services. And so our bill would give juries information they currently do not have about expenses that have already been paid by what's called third-party collateral sources. These are things such as private health insurance. Um, and so while we, while we do not believe certainly that this legislation is a silver bullet by any means. We do believe that it would put us on a path to fixing what is a clearly a broken system. And the report I mentioned earlier, uh, we believe deserves attention from legislators. And in fact, uh, we were very happy that uh, we did secure a commitment, a briefing on that report next week uh, before four of our key committees. And it's, it's our hope that they will put stakeholders and experts around a table this session to move forward a, a reasonable solution. And we look forward to being part of that effort.
you know, we had uh, Senator Malcolm Augustine on as our inaugural 2022 uh, guest for the lobby pod and Leslie and Brian, he was, he was really moved when I asked him about the hospital workers in his district. And, you know, he was just very moved by their unceasing service and sort of their inability to, to find a buoy, you know, they just keep swimming and, and, and once in a, once in a while, a, a buoy will pop up where they can cling to for a few minutes, but then it's back in the water, head down. And, uh, you know, he got, he got, uh, I could see he could relate it to his own service and that as a legislator, you know, he, he has those hospital workers in his district. He's hearing those stories. And then he's also hearing stories of people losing their homes and uh, people hitting financial straits as a result of the, the pandemic. And, and you could just see that he had a ton of empathy in his understanding of hospital hospital workers were going through as a relationship to, to what, what he as a legislator was going through uh, Leslie or Brian, do you have any reaction to, to that sort of the human side of, of what the legislature or the legislator in person is, is confronting as they're solving your problems and their own legislative uh, and constituent issues as well? So I, I would just offer, I think it's wonderful that the legislators are so interested in, in understanding what's happening in our hospitals. We've had several make visits and, you know, really just want to see firsthand what's going on. And I think that's amazing because then they're truly able to see the full picture and not just hear, um, you know, rumors of what's happening. They're seeing firsthand and they're taking that information along with all the other things that are coming at them to try to help understand how they can be a better advocate for us. And so I'm personally, I'm incredibly appreciative of that whenever it happens. Yeah, Damien, I would agree with Leslie. And I think we're all, I, I speak for everyone when I say that we're all so thankful and grateful for all of those on the front lines. And we work at the association to really try to tell their individual stories. We work with our members on that through a variety of means. I think our legislators will be hearing from a lot of those folks during the course of the session. Um, and it's important that their efforts are recognized. And, and at the end of the day, they've been there for us, and now we need to be there for them. And, and we're their advocate. And we look forward to working with the legislature, working with the governor of the session to make sure that they have what they need to continue uh, what has been a very, very challenging uh, situation. So we appreciate all of their efforts um, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure they have the support they need. And Leslie, uh, Brian and I are in that Annapolis culture. Uh, we hear it all the time. You're in the hospital culture. You hear it all the time, but we have listeners that are not uh, as plugged into to, to the public health messaging. Never hurts to give them another tutorial. What should we be telling the public, Leslie? Yes. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. Um, as a nurse, I love anytime I can talk about this. You know, I know there's a lot of um, feelings one way or the other about vaccines, but let me just tell you what I see in each one of our hospitals every day is 
patients that are not vaccinated or patients that are minimally vaccinated, meaning they might only have received one vaccine and no um, boosters, and particularly those that have extenuating healthcare issues, they're, they're the ones that are on a ventilator in the ICUs fighting for every breath. I'm telling you, the people that are fully vaccinated and boosted are doing fairly well. And the vaccine was never intended to prevent you from getting COVID. It was intended to keep you from getting deathly ill and dying from COVID. And what we practically see in our hospitals is it works. So I am a big champion of that for what, because of what I see every day, day in and day out. There are just so many people dying without the benefit of a vaccine and booster that it just, it's heartbreaking to the healthcare team. So if you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated. It's not too late. If you're not boosted, get boosted. It's not too late. Mask, your mask does make a difference. It helps. It's not alone. It does nothing. But in conjunction with other things, it is helpful to decrease your viral exposure. Um, socially distance when you can. Definitely avoid large gatherings. Now is not the time. The, you know, part of the reason Omicron was able to take hold so fast is because we were all celebrating together indoors without masks, you know, loving up on each other. And that's a perfect perfect situation for Omicron to spread. That I was, was one of those ones we felt if we had the vaccine or boosted, we, you know, we felt, felt a little bit invincible and we, exactly. I think we lost ourselves a little bit there. We, we did. I would end just by saying, you know, um, please do not come to the emergency room for testing. I'm so thrilled to see that so many testing centers are expanding and new ones coming. Go to those if you're just looking for a test. The emergency rooms are just so overwhelmed. Coming there for a test distracts them from taking care of people with life-threatening illnesses. And if your illness isn't life-threatening, um, i.e. meaning you don't have chest pain or abdominal pain or difficulty breathing or something like that, seek first the advice of your doctor and consider urgent care first. Um, those things will be really helpful to make sure the ERs are available for those that need us most. So um, thank you for giving me the moment, Damien, to review those things. Thank you, Leslie. And, and thank LifeBridge. And if you'll give uh, the greatest of all time, Neil Meltzer, our best, uh, you guys and, and, and gals over there put on a brave face uh, for healthcare, for hospitals, for Marylanders. Can't thank you enough. It's our pleasure. Brian, thank you for everything you're doing. I know it's impossible to, to feel the value when you are operating amongst these care providers in, the, in our hospitals, but uh, you're doing so much and it's, it's wonderful to see the passion and, and passion for common sense and uh, follow through for our caretakers that Bob Atlas and, and Nicole Stallings are taking on for the Maryland Hospital Association. Thank you all so much for joining us today on The Lobby. Thank you for the opportunity, Damian. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you all. That's this podcast, The Lobby. We'll see you next time. Everybody, thank you very much. You guys are great. And Brian, you always sound smart. Congratulations on your uh, presidency. Yes, thank you.
appreciate that. No good deed goes unpunished in an app. <laughs>